Welcome back to the New York Gun Guys podcast. My name is John. My name is Taylor. Taylor. Yeah, man. What are we talking about today? Oh, boy. Well, we're talking about one of my favorite guns. We're going to be talking about the infamous SKS rifle. Mm. So, as we did with the M1 uh, Garand episode, I brought by a couple of SKSs. So, John has one in his hand. And uh, I do. I have one in my hand oh, yeah. here. Oh, so, let me, uh, just, let me know, give mine a... Give, give a little safety check, a little rack, <laughs> even though they were safety checked beforehand. And safety is number one. So we like to make sure we're safe so, uh, when we're handling a firearms. A physical and visible uh, inspection. Visual, yeah. Yes. So today, like I said, we're going to be talking about the SKS. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm going to give just a little spiel about some history, some interesting variants uh, real quick. Um, so the SKS is a semi-automatic carbine chambered in 762 by 39 which is the same caliber that the AK-47 takes. Uh, it's designed in 1943 by Sergei Simonov. It was adopted in 1945, and it was given the designation in English, the self-loading carbine of the Simonov system, 1945. So one of the best things about this, now getting into more specifically New York State, is that it features a permanently attached folding bayonet and a hinged non-detachable magazine. Mm. So... For New York, this is a semi-automatic rifle that has a fixed magazine that was originally designed as mm-hmm. a fixed magazine mm-hmm. and fires an AK, basically an AK-47 round. So let me ask you a quick question about the New York State compliance and yeah. whatnot. Um, so some people might be looking at this and saying, okay, well, that's great. It's got the fixed mag and all that stuff. But, you know, it says in the New York Safe Act that it can't have like a bayonet lug. Right. So what's the deal with that does this doesn't this technically because it does have a bayonet does it not have a bayonet lug this has a bayonet and a bayonet lug but because it doesn't take a detachable magazine it's exempt from the new york safe act okay so stock the sks comes with a 10 round magazine Mm -hmm. so 10 round fixed internal magazine Mm, right so by definition that exempts it from the new york safe act so you could have a bayonet lug folding stock pistol grip gotcha and there's a ton of aftermarket parts for this gun. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm more of a purist when it comes to these, and mm-hmm. I don't like to bubba them up, as some people yeah. like to say, save them from bubba. Mm-hmm. Um, so, tell me a little bit about, well, this was your, which one of these was your first gun? Right. So, I'm holding one in my hands. Um, this is a Chinese SKS Factory 636. And this is what got you into collecting? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It did. It did. And um, this was my second gun, actually. Like I said in a previous podcast, mm-hmm. uh, my first gun was an AR-15 that I had built. Right. And that's, you know, a new production, mm-hmm. cool and dandy. Mm-hmm. I wanted one. And it was actually, um, you know, when I first got into guns, a lot of people have, like, the mystique about Chinese firearms because they were banned from importation in the 90s, um, thanks to the, you know, Clinton administration. And... Since then, there's been a, oh, wait, we can't get him anymore? Oh, I really want one kind of mentality about it. Mm -hmm. And back in the day, people used to think that Chinese-made guns were junk, you know, because of the mentality that we had coming out of Vietnam, coming out of Asia. At the time, the same thing was said about Japanese stuff, that they considered it junk. Like the made in China. Yeah. Okay, I got you. But the one thing that the Chinese did really well, aside from violating basic human rights, (laughs) is is make firearms. Because... As a country that focuses on its national defense is the most important thing, right. they make guns really well. Mm-hmm. And these guns that they made, some were sent for commercial export, some were made for domestic military uh, militia use. But they were made, even the semi-auto, like for example, the AK-47s, the AKMs, uh, the Chinese Type 56 rifles, uh, 
assault rifles, excuse me, I'll get into that a little later, they were made along in the same factories on the same production lines as the military stuff, except mm-hmm. they were semi-auto for the AKs. Right. So the same thing about these SKSs, they were true military-made firearms that they issued to the, the People's Liberation Army, militia units, they sent all over mm-hmm. the world and exported. Um, right. And you were showing me just before... Um you know, some manuals and whatnot that you that I guess you, you'll talk about in a little yeah, bit. But yeah. manuals that were given out to c- civilians. Right, militia basically. groups, Red Guards, right. and some PLA and, and PLA troops, People's Liberation Army, that's what the PLA stands for right. you, when, when I say that. Um, the Chinese post-World War II, um, after Chiang Kai-shek and the Nationals fell to the communists, um, they had a lot of militia groups, they had a lot of... Um, people that weren't in necessarily in the People's Liberation Army, but they were... Because China's a huge country, right? Right. And they have all these militia groups in these different provinces, and they were given arms and manuals and, and training, basically saying, hey, you as a peasant farmer, you are part of the defense of this country from the imperial Western powers. Hmm. So you're going to be given these <laughs> rifles, and you're going to be given these manuals, and it's going to show you how to shoot and, you know, and right, set booby right. traps and do whatever. Um, <laughs> so getting into now, for example, this, the people wonder why the SKS was really made to be because originally it was developed in the Soviet Union. Right. And a few years after its adoption came the AK-47. Yeah. It, what was it? Five years? No, less than that. This was introduced in 1945. The mm-hmm. AK-47 was technically adopted in 47, but really put into mass production in like 49, early mm-hmm. 50s. Okay, right, right. So there was some models that came out originally, but they had a lot of production troubles with the Type 1 uh, Russian AK-47s. So the SKS represents an intermediate step in the process towards the development of a true assault rifle, being shorter and less powerful than the semi-automatic rifles that preceded it, such as the Soviet SVT-40, AVT-38 rifles, which are big. It's a big semi-automatic rifle that's chambered for the 762 by 54 rimmed mm-hmm. round. So it's a semi-automatic mm-hmm. chambered in the Mosin-Nagant cartridge for people. So are these still produced new um, anywhere in the world? Or you know, the ones that exist right now were only produced within like a you know five-ish year time span and then that's it? It depends because... Because I, cause I saw that... This was what, like, I think you sent me like the ninth most produced yes. firearm. Yeah, this is the ninth. Uh, this is the ninth most produced rifle mm-hmm. in the world. Right, right. And it, but the thing is, China didn't. Russia and China weren't the only countries that made this. Um, after World War II, the SKS design was licensed and sold to a number of Soviet communist-aligned countries, mm-hmm. including China, Yugoslavia, Albania, North Korea, North Vietnam. East Germany, Romania, and Poland. Now, a couple of those, it, a couple of caveats on it. It's believed that Poland never domestically made their own. Right. Rather, they got Soviet and then they kind of, uh, Soviet Russian ones, and they kind of tweaked them a little bit, put them in different stocks, replaced stocks if need be. And then um, North Vietnam. So North Vietnam SKS is kind of a sidebar, really interesting, because mm-hmm. the debate is open as to whether they were domestically produced or they were produced from China and sent in. Some people say that, oh, I was in a factory that produced SKSs, and, right. but they're very similar to Chinese SKSs mm-hmm. in their appearance, their construction. They have right. a they have the letter one in a star on the left side of the receiver that, that tells you that it's a North Vietnamese, mm-hmm. but also there was a lot of handmade crude jungle copies. Like they literally handmade an SKS in the jungle wow. that soldiers found. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
all these different countries use them. And to get back to your question, um, I think I want to say the most recent production ones were the Albanians and the Yugoslavians. Uh, well, the Chinese made them into the 80s and 90s for commercial export. Um, I think they stopped making them militarily in the 70s, but then they started right. selling them to the U.S. Okay. And they made commercial variants that takes like AK mags or a paratrooper mm. model with a okay. shortened barrel. So they were like made. Like a detachable AK mag? Yeah. Oh, that's pretty yeah. cool. So they were made by China well into the 90s for commercial export to the mm -hmm. U.S. and all over the world. But I believe the military models, like the last true military models, if, if I recall correctly, were made in like the 70s, like the late 70s. Hmm, that's pretty I think. cool. Yeah, yeah. And I think Albania and China were some of the last ones to produce them. Mm -hmm. um, the three rarest SKS variants are the North Vietnamese, like I said. Uh, East Germany made an SKS variant that was domestically produced. And the way you tell that just by looking at it is the stock has on the left side the sling bar like a car 98K. Um, so that's the, the easiest way to identify it. Mm -hmm. And then if, if it had a replacement stock or something, there's receiver markings on it to show East German markings. Gotcha. And then one of the cooler ones I think of is the North Korean SKS. Um, that on the top cover, most people mis misidentify it as a Russian because it does have a star and a circle, kind of like a Tula marking almost. Tula, the Russian arms yep. factory. Yep. But some people might say, oh, it's Chinese, it has a star, or it's this. But it has Korean writing on it, and it's North Korean. So those are the three rarest right. variants. And they fetch actually a lot of money. I think I saw a North Korean SKS sell recently for like three grand. Jesus. Yeah, man. Wow. <laughs> so uh, tell me about the one that you have. So uh, like I was getting back to, so this one... Um, after I bought the AK, I really wanted... Uh, AR-15, I really wanted something different i wanted an ak but in new york right. at the time this was let's see it's 2020 now this is like 2010 mm -hmm. i want to say the new york right. ak the ak market in general wasn't isn't what it was mm -hmm. like it wasn't what it was today right um there wasn't a lot of options in new york i think uh we had the wasser tens we had um i think uh arsenal out of bulgaria bulgaria made a new york compliant model and that was really it so and then other than that, you had a Mac 90, a Chinese Mac 90 or an Egyptian Mahdi. Those were like mm -hmm. the choices you had. So I was at a gun show out in Hopog, and I saw that this guy had a Norinco SKS on the on the rack. I'm like, oh, that thing's cool, man. It's like, it's Chinese. It's cool. I want it. So I paid at the time $325, which by 10 years ago prices might have been a little high, but... It was kind of, you know, on par for what they were going for, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. $300, $200. dollars Well, what are they going for now, like this right well, here? It depends. I mean, recent imports, they were getting $350, $400. Well, no, I mean, just it. like the one like the one specifically that you have. Honestly, I'd say probably like three. This is like a $300 gun. Yeah. Like okay. on, in today's prices. Right. So 10 years ago, I might have overpaid a little bit for it, but also it's New York, Long Island yeah. prices. Well, and you everything's wanted. That too. Right. So I got it. And this one's interesting. It's a um, 1971 model factory 636 and it has a five round flush magazine which it i don't know if it was imported with a five round magazine or if it was made after af, installed afterwards but it is a chinese made five round magazine which i've come to learn they're very kind of hard to find so it's kind of cool mm -hmm. um and this gun actually is is a gun that i bring when i I take with me when I bring people to the range to shoot for the first time. Um, if I don't bring a 22, I usually bring an SKS mm. because it's got enough power to it to where people realize I'm shooting a gun. Right. They're, they can, they know what recoil feels like. Cause I find a, a lot of times if you start people on a 22, it's good. It's mm, like yeah. the best option to start on, but 
they don't understand what recoil is and recoil management. It's right. just to get them familiar with handling a gun. If you really want, like in my opinion, I think that this is a great gun to start people on. This one in particular yeah. only holds five rounds. Right. It is very easy to operate. Yeah, it's pretty easy to shoot. It is. I've shot this one. It is. Um, and actually, when we went to the range recently, um, uh, our, our friend we brought with to get him signed off for the CMP, I brought an SKS because I didn't have any uh, ammo for the Garand at the time. And this is kind of similar to the way a, a Garand kind of uh, operates. I'm not saying it's similar to the way it operates, but like, for example, the manual of arms. You lock the bolt back, you load it from right, the top. Right. The safety is by the trigger, mm -hmm. which on the Garand it is too, so you have to learn trigger discipline right. as to not touch the trigger when you're putting on and off the safety. That's, mm -hmm. a, big, that's a biggie with these guns. Right. Uh, the safety is a lever right by the trigger, and it's very easy to, when you're flipping it down pull yeah, the trigger right. so teaching that is is a very very good thing mm -hmm. um with these guns so i i really i've had this gun now for going on like 10 years and i've had i have a number of other sks's as well but this one it like i said it was like really like my first true gun like my, well, yeah. my mill serp my first mill serp right and it really opened my eyes to a lot of things that were going on in the world with mm -hmm. world history mm -hmm. and um things that happened in, in Vietnam, post-World War II, and then kind of got my, my really, my love started of Eastern Bloc, Communist, Cold War era firearms. Right. Because I knew really nothing about China. Mm hmm You know, and during World War II, China was actually our ally. They were fighting against the Japanese. Right. They had a nationalist faction led by Chiang Kai-shek, and we were arming them and helping them to try and beat out the Japanese invaders. And to set up China as a pro-Western ally in Asia. Right. A, a giant, you know, country is China. Right. But, you know, we all know the way that went. The communist one, Mao Zedong, uh, wound up taking over. And mm -hmm. China became arguably one of the biggest superpowers in the world. Right. Some people say that China actually has more of a global influence than Russia. Even towards the end of the Cold War, but even after the Soviet Union fell. The Soviet Union fell, but China was still... On the up and up, in terms of arming the world, become uh, mm -hmm. becoming a world superpower in manufacturing right. technology, mm -hmm. um, they're still behind the curve militarily on some things. But look around you; what's not made in China? Right, pretty much everything. Right. Yeah. So everything that we, a lot of stuff that we use today is made in China. Right. They are one of the world superpowers in manufacturing, mm -hmm. exporting, mm -hmm. global trade, and unfortunately, you know, violating people's human rights and killing people and right. you know. Um, now, one interesting thing I wanted to get into was the nomenclature of this specific SKS. Okay. So the Chinese had a... They, they call this a Type 56. Mm -hmm. But they also called their AK a Type 56, mm -hmm. which um, they were both adopted in 1956, hence the name. But they, um, <clears throat> they're both known as a Type 56. This is known as a Type 56 carbine. The SKS is known as a Type 56 carbine. And the AK is known as the Type 56 assault rifle. If you think of it like, for example, in the U.S. designating system, you have the M1 carbine and the M1 rifle. And then you have the M1 submachine gun, which is the Thompson. Right. All three have the same name. They just, one's a carbine, one's a rifle, one's a submachine gun. Right. Very different purposes. Right. After World War II, Germany was really the first, you know, at the end of World War II, Germany was really the first country to develop the assault rifle, the Sturmgewehr. And a lot of countries took note of a smaller, intermediate caliber that it's more powerful than a submachine gun, but a little less powerful than a rifle. But battle 
ranges were only at like maximum 300 yards, they, they figured. Mm-hmm. So they developed an intermediate round, and they basically, the, the assault rifle was meant to replace the rifle and the submachine gun. Right. But many countries still wanted a rifle because they realized that a rifle for more precise shooting mm-hmm. is more desirable Yeah. For in some cases. Um, so that led to countries having rifles, carbines, submachine guns, and handguns. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> so... This really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I, I used to actually, believe it or not, I used to actually like really find history boring. Mm. And then when I started looking into it, I really started... The, this gun kind of was the, the, the spark that really ignited my love of history and then getting into firearms as a whole. Right, right. And uh, I think a lot of people can get behind that as saying, oh, I had this old gun, I looked into the history, and I never knew this, this, and this happened because of that. Yeah, once you start kind of digging into things, you... Start to learn shit. You know, it's it's it's, no, it's cool. I mean, yeah. you know, and it kind of furthers your your reason for right for being a collector. Right, opens you up to other things that you might want. And... Right, and the cool thing about the SKS is you still see these things in battlefields and conflicts, and right. they're they're all over. They're mm-hmm. all over the world. Some people refer to them as the cockroach of weapons. <laughs> um, it is a very handy light rifle. Uh, it was really good for guerrilla fighters because it's light, it's handy, it has a limited ammunition capacity, so you're not carrying around magazines and all these things that, you know, you're going to spray bullets all over the place. It really helped the guerrilla fighter in many different countries because you could carry, you know, you could travel light, carry a gun and some ammo, have some more precise shots, and then just get the hell out of there. Right. A lot of times in Vietnam, you know, these were encountered. Um, I, I, I recently saw an anecdotal story of a uh, on YouTube from the Mosin Crate, which is a, a guy that sells surplus firearms, and he had a Type 56 that was captured in Vietnam, and the, the soldier that brought it back, the story goes that there was a, a Viet Cong soldier shooting at him from the trees with an SKS. Mm-hmm. And he calls it sniping. Obviously, it's not like a sniper rifle like we would call today, but that right. was the act of covert, more precise shooting. Right. And the guy shot at him. Uh, the, the, the U.S. soldier shot at the guy, killed him. The bullet went through the stock of the gun, Hit him in the neck. He fell out of the tree. The gun fell with him, and he took the gun home as a, as a war trophy. Hmm. Um, you know, you find that there's also different kinds of, uh, more specifically Chinese S- SKSs. Um, they were originally, you know, adopted in 1956, and they were more closely uh, styled after the Soviet design. So they had um, uh, the biggest giveaway is a blade bayonet as opposed to a spike bayonet. Right. These and, have a spike. Right. These two uh, examples have a spike bayonet. Right. And they went to the spike bayonet in the mid-60s, about 1964. They changed over from the Sino-Soviet style to just the regular Chinese that we see here today that a lot of people see. Um, now, getting into for what we were talking about earlier as a New York legal option, right. this is, without a doubt, one of the best New York legal collectible firearms there is i think um and not even in terms of just collectability but just general shootability handling the way they were made the round that they take i mean if you think about it like you can have a new york legal ak right but it's got to be neutered right or it's got to have a 10 round magazine Mm -hmm. which you could swap out a mag and you know detachable mags are great right this gun was originally made to have a 10 round magazine fixed in it and you load it from the top via stripper clips right so you don't have to carry around bulky magazines to reload Mm -hmm. carry around 10 uh 10 round stripper clips charge it from the top and keep going in some ways it's quicker because you don't have to remove a magazine 
take the magazine out and then put another magazine in. Mm-hmm. This one, the gun runs empty, the bolt locks back. You take a clip, uh, you know, a stripper clip of ammunition, load it from the top, right, right. close the bolt and keep going. Right. And it shoots the same round as an AK. Longer barrel. Some might say is a little more precise, but, you know, that's the ammunition you shoot is largely depending on that. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously you have to do your part with marksmanship. Um, but in my opinion, it's just a great gun. They could be, they're everywhere. They could be found cheap. And back in the day, people tell me, oh, yeah, I used to buy them by the crate. It was oh like 80 God. bucks or $75 a piece, and it came with a thousand rounds of ammo. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, shit. <laughs> Missed the boat on I that know. One. <laughs> but they're still cheap and plentiful, and there's yeah. millions of them in the country. And there's always, if you're a collector, there's many different interesting variants, even within the countries mm-hmm. that they have. I have these two Chinese. I have two Yugoslavians as well. And one Yugoslavian I have, which I'll have to talk about in another episode, um, it's actually a conflict-used rifle, a partisan-used rifle that was used... Uh, now, this is just me piecing together some history from the gun, but it was used by the Bosnians that were fighting the Serbians. Bosnian Muslims were be- were fighting the Serbians in the breakup of Yugoslavia and the Bosnian Civil War. Mm-hmm. And this one was really cool because it was a um, field modified to be select fire by the Bosnians. Right. And um, it was, you know, after the war, it was converted to semi-auto and then imported to the U.S. And they're very rare. Mm-hmm. Um, but this, this represents a really good option for somebody who wants a rifle, right. wants it to be compliant, wants it to have a powerful yet plentiful and cheap source of ammunition right. and to have things like a bayonet. Right. So like, just like the, the M1 yeah. Durand, yeah. Um, you know, that's something that you could buy and not really have to worry about it as far as compliance. Right. And this is the, this is the same idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, obviously the ammo for the M1 is a little more right. scarce and more expensive. So. <laughs> well, it's more expensive and yeah, nowadays in, in this pandemic buying right. it's scarce. Well, but... everything is every, I mean, every ammo. I mean, I went on uh, some websites looking for a nine millimeter and they were out out like completely out right <laughs> and you know 762 by 39 is a very common caliber but now getting into a little more anecdotal history back in the day these were first imported in the u.s well they weren't imported actually they were brought back by gis from vietnam in the 60s mm-hmm. nobody knew much about these guns they were actually really rare the ammunition was pretty much non-existent in the u.s because there wasn't anything domestic that took that mm-hmm it wasn't until, I believe, the 70s and the 80s when things like Chinese AKs, uh, Valmet, Finnish Valmet, M76 uh, AKs were started to come in that once the, the Cold War kind of was starting to trail off, the West was open to com block rifles and ammunition. That's when these things really started to become more plentiful, more affordable. The ammunition became cheap and people were really finding out that, hey, these are really good guns for the price. Mm-hmm. So was yours used in, like, can, are you able to figure out if yours specifically was used in any sort of conflict? Or I, you know, I don't know. The Chinese made fucking millions of them. Yeah. I think I, I read a figure somewhere. It was like 18 million of these things the Chinese made over, wow. the, the, over the production history. Right, right. This one, like I said, was made in 1971. And um, a lot of times these were made and then just put away. Yeah, makes sense. And then when China started exporting them to the U.S. for commercial sales, they're like, hey, we got warehouses full of these things. We don't have to produce any of them yet. We can just Mm -hmm. sell them our surplus because Mm -hmm. we're more into the AK now anyway. Or even the Type 63, the Type 68, the Type 81, so on and so forth, the Chinese um, different firearms that they developed rifles. So like, we'll sell them to the Americans and make money. So that's pretty much what they did. So I I don't know. I, I, 
I think this one was just probably a gun that just, you know, was made and then put away and then nothing happened. I that, mean, it's in good shape. It is. This so. one's in good shape. I mean, it, it's used and you could tell there's there's interesting variational there's di- there's differences. For example, the rear sight block on this one looks to be like it's cast versus the rear sight block on that one looks like it's milled. And okay. um, there's interesting right. there's little interesting differences that you could kind of pull apart between between uh, different SKSs and the variants. Now that one John is holding, um, mm-hmm. that one is a military issue. You could tell because it has a rack number on the stock and it has the bot and it has um, a triangle two stamp on the yeah, on see, the we'll, we'll put pictures of this yeah. on on things on yeah, Instagram, and that one Facebook. is unissued, unused. I never fired it. I bought it from somebody and I cleaned the Cosmoline out of the out of the gas piston tube. I mean, this thing was never fired since it was imported. I can hmm. pretty much guarantee that because the whole tube was the whole gas piston tube was filled with Cosmoline. Jesus. And yeah. There's no way you could shoot that like that. Right. So that one I keep kind of more as a collector piece and this one that I bought 10 years ago, um, I shoot. Right. I love shooting it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a gotcha. lot of fun. So you brought a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about that. I did. Now I know this episode is kind of more Chinese specific, um, because that's honestly one of the more common ones that you're going to run across. Like I said, the Yugoslavian probably after the Chinese, the next common one you're going to run across is a Yugoslavian. Mm-hmm. They have a couple of different variations. The M59 was the first production, which was kind of a copy of the Soviet design. Then they had the M5966 and then the 56-A1, uh, 66A1. The big thing with the Yugoslavians is that they have a blade bayonet and a grenade launcher with flip-up sights. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And um, they, they're they very distinctive. They have a big, long grenade launcher in the front. That's actually also New York legal. Wow. Because, how, how, how? because it's a because fixed it's, magazine. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's a, crazy, right? How yeah. just that one thing can just... It's the same exact gun shooting the right. same exact ground. Right. The only difference is there's a pin. Right, and it, yep, there's a magazine yeah. that's fixed. Right now, for those who are savvy or who know about the SKS, the magazine comes out. Yeah, I was asking, I was asking Taylor before, like, let's say you know, let's say you're listening, you're not from New York, and right. you can have a larger capacity magazine or your law enforcement. Is there a way to actually put a larger magazine on this? Oh, yeah. firearm. Yeah, they're what's known as duckbill mags because mm-hmm. they have to have an appendage in the front that locks into the uh, the cross bolt in the stock which is the, the, the front of the magazine retainer. Right. Um, so basically, you take the trigger group out, the magazine comes out, you mm-hmm. put the trigger group back in, and then the duckbill mags, they they it's kind of like a rock and lock. You put them in the front, and then you lock them in the back, kind of like an AK. It's just, they're a little finicky, and sometimes the quality is kind of eh on them. Right. But... But it's doable. Yeah, it is. And it's easy. It is. And then there was also some Chinese variants, the SKSD, the SKSM, that takes AK magazines from the factory from China. Right. So they're, they, they, they fall into a weird area with New York because some of them have the full bayonet like on a fixed mag gun, and those right. are not legal in New York. Right. But there's some that were imported as a sporter model. Mm, without with, that. Without a bayonet lug and with like a Monte Carlo type stock mm-hmm. that takes a magazine, and that's okay, but you just can't have the 30-round mags. You could get 10-round AK mags all day. So that's an option too. For it people. is. It is, and it's a it's a different option too. If you don't want an AK, you want something a little different. Right. So that that is an option. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So <laughs> people think I'm a little nutso sometimes about these things. Uh, I get really into it, and um, I brought with me today some artifacts from I, I call them artifacts. They're you know old. <laughs> They're like photographs, old and manuals, yeah. and maps. Yeah. So armbands. Yeah. So I have a couple of. Um, 
red guard armbands here. And I get these, um, these are actual, you know, I, I say artifacts because that's the technical term for them if you're like a museum guy or whatever. Yeah. But um, I have a couple of armbands here. One of them is from a, um, a, a work study, a farm work study group. The, the, basically what they did in the Chinese Cultural Revolution was they took people, students from the cities, young people from the cities, and brought them to work out on the farms to be at one with the peasants, to understand the peasant struggle, and to realize that, wow, peasants and workers are what make our country great in China, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so they, the Red Guard, the Chinese Red Guard youth, which is similar in a lot of ways to the uh, the BLM movement today, mm -hmm. communists. <laughs> and <Wow>. um, <laughs> so they wear these armbands as yeah. in solidarity of Mao Zedong. All right. So, and then this other one here is a little bit more tattered and torn. It's a, um, I believe the translation, if I remember correctly, is the Mao Zedong uh, thought propaganda. Mm -hmm. So they had propaganda, which <laughs> controlled your thoughts. Right. Um, <clears throat> I have a manual here. This was issued, I believe, I, I don't want to say it's a PLA manual. I have to just double check my notes. I should have beforehand. But what it is, it's a manual that they give out. And it has all these different kinds of guns in there. Mm -hmm. And it shows you how to take them apart, how to operate them. So there's an SKS, an AK, an RPD. Um, and it shows you how to use the guns, how to clean them, how to operate them. And then and towards the end of the book, it has marksmanship training. So it shows you how to shoot, how to angle the shots, the curve of the flight path of a bullet, let's just say. And this is what they would hand out to militia groups, PLA soldiers to say, hey, here's a gun. Here's a booklet. We're going to show you how to shoot it. And mm -hmm. if you ever have to defend China, right. this is what you're going to do. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Like there's how to shoot at people with parachutes that are parachuting down. <laughs> there's this picture here. It's a guy holding what looks like an RPD and then another guy holding the, the, the bipod right. up above his head and they're shooting <laughs> at a guy parachuting down and it gives you the angles that. of how cool to shoot. Yeah. That's cool as hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, handing out these books and whatnot, I mean, this was effectively turning people who had no idea what they were doing with the firearm right. into maybe somewhat effective, right. you know, Because soldiers. the peasant, the peasantry, Mao Zedong, you know, but the workers and the peasants were the backbone of the country. Right. And they wanted to make sure that they were trained and armed so that way the whole country is the is the army. Is the army, right? Right. Um I have well, a it looks like there's like some handwritten stuff in here. Yeah. I don't know if you ever saw that. Yeah, it is. There's I get these now this this sort of stuff isn't like rare or expensive, and that's another cool thing about right. collecting, is you can Yeah, like how much can someone get this book for? I found it on eBay. It was like eight bucks. Really? That's not <laughs> yeah, bad. I mean, no. I'm sure they handed out like millions and oh, millions, yeah. millions of them. So they're probably But the fact but... that it survived all these years and yeah, it's I mean, you can, used and... Yeah, you could feel it's kind of flimsy and... But yeah, dude, page 83 on here has some uh, has some hand handwritten notes in here. Yeah. Unfortunately, we can't read them. No, I have no idea <laughs> right. what that means. Well, that yeah. looks like, uh, it looks like site markings. Yeah, I was going to say it looks like distances. Right, distances, 700, 1,000, 1,500, 2,000, 3,000. Yeah, it's pretty um, cool. Yeah, and then I have uh, some pictures here. Now, this picture here, which I'm showing John, is allegedly from the Vietnam War. It's a mm -hmm. uh, NVA soldier rushing, I guess, into combat or... Or something with an SKS looks like rifle. There's almost an explosion behind them. Yeah, dirt it, and whatnot. Well, we're gonna put pictures yeah. of this stuff up on the Instagram so you guys could look. But. Yeah, but that's an actual battle photo. Yes, yeah, and this is an original photograph. Yeah, that's original. That's an original from the time. And then on the back, um, I have a couple of photos in that one. I don't think that one has a uh, an SKS in it. 
No, it looks like um, AKs and then some American. Oh yeah, that's firearms. that's yep. That's also um, another photo from Vietnam, which I have in the same holder. It's mm-hmm. um, I believe they're South Vietnamese, uh, North Vietnamese troops running past dead bodies, holding AKs and M1 carbines. Right. They could be Arvin, they could be, but it's kind of hard to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was part of the issue in Vietnam. You didn't right. know who who you were fighting. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <clears throat> So I have here also this picture. It is young women, and it looks like there's a guy at the end shooting the SKS, like the ones we have with the spike bayonet, um, militia training. And that's something that they did, these you know these groups, these militia groups. Right. They would train people, the citizenry, the peasants, how to use a gun. And it's cool because original photographic do- uh, evidence still exists of that. So you could see... Actual SKSs used by militias, combatants, the PLA Army, and you could, you know, this is one thing that I really got into is history. I'm like, wow, this is an actual military issue gun that's New York legal that, you know, spread all over the world. Right. It's crazy that this is like a this is a an original, you know, legitimate photograph. Yeah. It, I mean, the border around it is cut out like it was in someone's photo album. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like who. <laughs> Who would who would just like snap a photograph of this and like put it in their photo album? You know, well, it's just like one of, of those times, weird things. Yeah, well, I mean, it could have been a family member. I mean, these were yeah. actual Cultural Revolution artifacts. Yeah. Um, it could have been used for propaganda. It could have been used for you know a newspaper. I mean, I have pictures here of soldiers holding firearms that looks like maybe they were used for a family member right. or you know something. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know who knows? That's cool stuff. Who knows? Yeah, I got I got a bunch of cool stuff here. <laughs> It's and it, it really gets back into why I got passionate about firearms. This particular right. gun that I'm holding, this is why I got passionate about firearms. Right. And passionate about history, passionate about collecting, mm-hmm. passionate mm-hmm. about um, the things that are going on in the world. Right. You know, in America, we tend to think that we're the only ones that matter. Or right. Things only happen yeah. to us. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, it's alleged that during the Chinese Cultural Revolution mm-hmm. and the Great Leap Forward, Mao Zedong killed 53 million of his own people. Right through starvation, famine, political mm-hmm. executions, mm-hmm. re-education camps. And it was a very eye-opening experience right. to learn about learn about it. So what else you got in there? Oh, man. Um, a lot of the stuff, it, it, it doesn't really pertain. I just brought a whole folder of just my collectibles and stuff. Yeah. Um, now, one thing that I was talking to John about earlier was this photograph. Um, it shows PLA... Um, <clears throat> okay, yeah. Yeah, it shows PLA soldiers sitting in what looks like a um, like a parade or a presentation um, type type event, and which was very common. They would have these political propaganda events, and um, they would have all these soldiers and banners. And but this particular image is really cool because it shows the Type sixty three rifle. Now, the Type sixty three rifle. Just getting in a little anecdote is. It looks similar to an AK. I mean, an SKS. It, it looks almost identical to an SKS, except it takes a detachable magazine. The The visual identifier that separates it from an SKS is that it takes a, 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 a detachable magazine, and in the front of the gas tube, it has like a little dingus that sticks out. I think it's like a stacking rod or something for the gas piston. But the Type 60... The, the Type... Excuse me. The Type 60... Three rifle. I couldn't talk out of tongue twister there for a second. <laughs> a lot of numbers. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Because there's so many different designations. Yeah, and right. for example, I just want to make sure I'm, I'm correct on it. The yeah. Type 63 rifle 
is a select fire. Right. It's an SKS AK hybrid. It right. has the appearance and the handling of an SKS, but it has the rotating bolt assembly mm-hmm. of an AK. Right. And it has so it an could SKS be fired trigger full auto. Yeah. And it takes a 20-round detachable magazine. Right. There are, that I'm aware of, based on my research, there are none in private hands in the U.S. Only governments. I, I saw a video uh, from the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, of a uh, government demonstration showing U.S. Special Forces troops all these different communist captured weapons or, you know, and all these different guns. And they actually had, you know, one of these guns and they were showing how to shoot it. So mm-hmm. I know there's at least one in the U.S., right. but it's probably in government hands. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, it was very hard to bring back uh, any type of fully automatic firearm mm-hmm. from conflicts post-World War II. Right. And people did. And then, you know, yeah, <laughs> they registered some of them in the amnesty in 68. And right. they um, there's still many of them floating around in people's closets and that people don't know about. <laughs> so what's your overall impression of the SKS, John? Because I've, I've been know. talking I mean, about this, you know, I've, I'm, I'm like a windbag about yeah. this shit. But what is your impression? As somebody who I doesn't mean, have one, somebody right, who maybe yeah. only fired them because I brought them to the range, what's yeah. your impression of it? Um, I don't know. I mean, for me, I'm more interested in, like, American mm-hmm. firearms. So it, it, it's a cool firearm, but I don't know if I would ever... I don't know if I would ever buy one okay. personally for myself. Um, I mean, the history about it is pretty cool, but, you know, you also have to remember I can have things that, you know other people can right. so there's other things that i might be interested in so i don't know like but I, I think it's a I, i've shot it i i love shooting it yeah it's an awesome gun um you know what it is it's like like taylor was saying it you it's not like shooting it's easy easy to handle but you know it's not like shooting a 22 where there's like no recoil you still feel like you're shooting a rifle right you know so i i i, I do like that aspect about it i think um our friend who shot it had a great time shooting yeah. it. I think this is a this is a great this might even be like a great first gun for a lot of people. Well, this I mean, an AR was my first gun, but right. it is a great first right. gun I think for right. people. It's limited capacity. Um, it's legal in all 50 states. Right. So you don't have to think about that. I mean, no. I mean, you, you could walk into a gun shop, and I'm sure there's plenty of them in gun shops <sighs> yeah. around, you know, especially on there's Long Island. millions of them right. in the country. Right, so, um, you know, this is probably going to be an easier gun for you to find, locate, right. purchase, and all that stuff. You don't yeah. really have to think about, you know, am I going to go somewhere and be arrested because of this? Right. You know, and it doesn't look like, it has a wood stock, and it doesn't look like... A military rifle. Yeah, it doesn't look like you know you're gonna walk down the street and people are gonna think you're gonna an assault weapon there. <laughs> right, know? right. Even though this is more, you know, this is an actual military used gun, but <laughs> right. it doesn't it doesn't right. necessarily spark that image with a lot of people. Right. So it kind of might soften the blow to people who might not totally be into firearms or might think that AR-15s and AKs are like the bad guys' gun. Yeah, I just think that this is a good like entry level option for a lot of people. Right. Um. Yeah. I now, mean, recently they were imported. There was a whole bunch of them that were imported uh, in the past year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, they were Chinese Type 56 SKSs, early blade style bayonets, and later spike bayonets as well. They were coming out of Albania, um, believe it or not. And this was really the big, the first big batch of Chinese SKSs that we had imported since the 90s. Mm-hmm. And people now were being able to get them, buy them online from a store. Right. And have them shipped to an FFL. And right. the prices were pretty reasonable. Honestly, they were coming in $300, $350. Now they're pretty much sold out everywhere. Yeah. And the prices on them are jacked up. Right. 
And they were in, honestly, some of them were in good condition and a lot of them were in rough battle use shape. Now, if you think about it, they were coming out of Albania. And Albania was a country, now getting into a little bit more history, I'm sorry if people, you know, don't find this shit interesting, but... No, I mean, I think it's interesting. Right. Um, it's the story of, you know, everything. Well, let me backtrack a little bit. So, Chinese guns were banned for import into the, from the 90s. Right. 1994, uh, Clinton signed an executive order banning Chinese firearms. Mm-hmm. Now, since then, we haven't been able to get them into the country. There is a law federally that says if a gun, like let's just say a Chinese gun, if a Chinese gun sat in a neutral country, like a NATO-aligned country or a right. neutral country, for more than, I think, 20 years, mm-hmm. I think it is 20 years, then they're allowed to be imported into the U.S. because they're not... No longer considered... Chinese. Right. right. They're of that They've been in country. the ownership of another country. Right. 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 So, Albania at the time was was aligned with they were they were becoming a communist country and they were they about in like the 50s albania became like a really hardcore communist country they were disillusioned post-world war ii with the way nikita khrushchev was taking the soviet union they were de-stalinizing the soviet union so albania looked to china and mao Zedong for their vision of communism maoism Right, because it was more, it was a more hardcore stance, and you know, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. so China gave military aid to Albania in like the late fifties, sixties, seventies, and then Albania wound up producing their own SKSs with technical help from the Chinese in the seventies. We all know what happened in the nineties in Yugoslavia when Yugoslavia broke up, and um, or some people don't know, Yugoslavia broke up, civil war ensued, countries wanted autonomy, ethnic cleansing, genocide, you know, the whole nine yards. A lot of these guns were were used in that conflict. Mm-hmm. And you'll see a lot of Chinese SKSs with trench art from these conflict zones in Yugoslavia, Albania, Bosnia, uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina. There's a lot of these that were actually used in combat. Right. And then they were, after the war was over in the 90s, these guns got scooped up, put away, whatever. And because they were in a neutral country, Albania, they were eligible to be imported into the U.S. Gotcha. So... You could have a Chinese-made gun that was issued to an Eastern European communist country right. and then used in battle and then imported to the U.S. and now you could buy it. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I find that to be, like, totally fucking awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Lack of a better word. Because it it, it really gives it, it gives it a soul. It gives it history. Like you said with an M1. Right. You know, it has a soul. Well, right. <laughs> some of these guns have souls on right. them. Yeah, exactly. And it really, if you're a military collector... You want something that was it, obviously, if you don't have provenance, paperwork, whatever. But if it has the town or a guy's name carved in a stock, mm-hmm. you know that somebody named Nikita or whatever right, right. used Had, that gun. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good gun um, for a lot of reasons. You right. know, I mean, it really appeals to a lot of people. It could appeal to the collector. It could appeal to the, you know, someone who just likes rifles. Right. It, you know, it could be a really good entry level gun. As far as. Um, like, let's say, you know, as far as, like, a first-time purchase, what's it like, you know, the cleaning process and all that? Is it difficult compared no. to other firearms? No, or? it is not. Um, some people compare it to an AK. There's a couple of more parts in an AK. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... I mean, it, parts of it look very similar to an AK. It, you know? it does. A lot of people confuse them for right. AKs. And yeah. that's, that's you know, that's something because the AK is so right. prevalent right. that it is confusing. So, for example... Like the, the normal disassembly procedure for it, I'm not going to do it because I'm sitting at a chair, I don't have a table here, but you make sure the weapon is clear, you rack right. the bolt back, drop the magazine, flip the, the dust cover uh, latch up, pull it out, pull off the dust cover, take the bolt back, 
bolt carrier back, take the bolt and bolt carrier out. And then just like an AK, you have a little um, catch here on the right side of the gas block. Mm-hmm. And you flip that up, and that allows the gas tube to come out. And then there's a gas piston in there. Now, the biggest difference is with an AK, the piston is attached to the bolt carrier. The gas piston is attached to the bolt carrier. Right. On an SKS, it's spring-loaded, and it's separate. Mm-hmm. So the gas tube comes up, gas piston comes out, and for all intents and purposes, the gun is disassembled. Right. So you could clean it, do your maintenance. Um, the trigger group really doesn't require any maintenance. It's just a contained unit. It comes out. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, even to just to, you don't even have to take the trigger group out for just regular cleaning if you don't want to, Right. Um, depending on how hard you use it. Mm-hmm. But that's a really good thing. The bolt and the bolt carrier comes apart. It's actually a tilting bolt mechanism. The AK has a rotating bolt with lugs. This has a tilting bolt. Um, Simon off system. So it's really easy to take apart. There's not a lot of parts to it. And uh, it's a very rugged, robust firearm, just like yeah. a lot of communist-designed <laughs> firearms are. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so does this have the same reliability as, like, you know, I know an AK has, like, that reputation of being, yes. like, you could throw it into, well, like, mud, pick it up, and shoot it. And... It depends on what your definition of reliability is. Mm-hmm. In the modern day, we, we have to look at it through the lens of the time. Right. Modern day tolerances, machining are a lot tighter, are a lot better right. than what these guns were designed for. Right. These guns were designed to have slightly looser tolerances in order to operate in adverse conditions. Right. The biggest drawback to an SKS compared to an AK is the fact that the bolt opens up from the top. And, mm-hmm. you know, the top is totally exposed to yeah. whatever can get in it. Right. An AK, on the other hand, is the dust cover and just a, a narrow channel on the side mm-hmm. where dirt, mud, sand, whatever Can't can really get, get in. in yeah. Well, it can get in on just an AK. Just not as, not as easily. Right. So, for example, an SKS, if the bolt is locked open, right. you're exposing the barrel, the magazine, and um, you're not exposing the fire control group, which is a good part of it, but you're exposing everything. So, like, if you get mud in there and you try and, you know, send the bolt home... And it gets, it's not going to go into battery if there's blockages. Right. That is the biggest disadvantage of a gun with an open top system. Yeah. Now, the advantage of it is, like I said, quick reloading with stripper clips, um, carrying less weight on you. Right. You're not carrying magazines. Mm-hmm. And with any firearms design, there's a trade-off. And right. that's, you know, the trade-off is reliability versus ease of manufacture mm-hmm. versus robustness. Right. You know, it, right. it, there's many different trade-offs with it. Right. So, but... As far as today's standards, I mean, we're not, you know, these guns aren't getting dropped in the dirt and then immediately fired. And, but the you good know, thing is they can war, be. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess in a in a scenario where, right. you know, we talked about in our last episode, um, you know, about civil unrest and all that. Now that I, I think that we're coming to civil war, but, you know, I it's doubtful. Well, let me tell you. <laughs> but if, gun, you know, this wouldn't be a bad gun to have. A gun like this, an SKS, and even mm. some of these SKSs that people own, right. were used in war. We're used in combat. Right. We're used in guerrilla fighting. We're used in adverse jungle conditions. Right. And they fucking work. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, to me, a gun like this, I would feel more comfortable with than, you know, like a $400 PSA AR. Mm-hmm. That is why, for example, when we were talking about civil unrest, I grabbed an AK. Right. Over an AR-15. Right. right. I knew it was going to fucking work. Yeah. I didn't have to worry about it. You're gonna pull the trigger. It's gonna and go. It's boom. gonna go. Right. <laughs> I didn't have to worry about. Oh, it doesn't like this ammo. Yeah, yeah. The ejector's not quite <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, Some yeah. people get like really particular with shit. Yeah. If your gun can't run steel case, <laughs> yeah, that's a problem. It's yeah. a problem. Yeah. Right. 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 You got to clean it. You got to make sure you get all the crap out of the chamber. But I mean, 
these guns are just made to work. Right. They're made, they harken back to a totally different time. Like this gun was designed in the 40s. Yeah. I mean, and it's still being used today. Right. Yeah. I think that's cool. But yeah, in terms of reliability, this gun is, this gun won't fail you. So if I go buy one today, um, what are what are some of the things I can expect? Because you had mentioned that you know you had to clean the cosmoline out of the gun, and maybe right. some people out there don't understand why why a gun would be covered in cosmoline or what even is cosmoline. So. Right. So cosmoline is a preservative grease. Right. That's really all it is. And when guns were put into deep storage, they're covered in grease so they don't rust because mm-hmm. that you know grease covers the metal. Right. It, allows right. Air, it doesn't allow air to contact. Right. So when you get a gun, I mean even these guns that are coming in from Albania, they're mm-hmm. caked in cosmoline. Yeah. They're just right. slabbed in it. Yeah, I think a lot of people might associate cosmoline with Mosins. Yeah. Well, any, I mean, uh, uh, cosmoline yeah. is like a generic term yeah, for right, it. I mean, even right. the U.S. use some sort yeah. of cosmoline type grease to preserve right. their guns. Yeah. But the big thing is whenever you get any new firearm, whenever you buy any firearm from anywhere, you always got to take it down, always inspect it, always make sure that it is safe to shoot. And if you mm-hmm. don't feel comfortable doing it, take it to somebody competent who can do it. Right. Um, that's the big thing. So, for example, with the gun you're holding, when I got it, um, I completely disassembled it. Right. Um, and like I said, the gas piston, uh, the gas tube was, was packed was packed with cosmoline. Oh man, how so, to get it out? Well, there's a number of good videos on YouTube on how to do it. Generally, right. heat melts it. Like if you have a hair dryer, because it's grease and it yeah. just it melts it with melts heat. Away, right? um, yeah. Um, I used uh, solvents, brake clean stuff like that, and mm-hmm. honestly, just a rag just to physically remove just it remove just it, to yeah. push it out yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little bit of a uh, little bit of uh, manual labor on that yeah it's a labor of love yeah but you have to make sure that the barrel is completely free and clear of any obstructions of, course, of grease yeah. of anything right um so these surplus guns it's expected to be a good time cleaning it you know mm-hmm. a good bit of time cleaning it and going through it and making mm-hmm. sure all the, the components are in good working order nothing's broken because these are old guns right same thing with the m1s when i got yeah. those m1s it took me hours to go through every little part right. take the rust off every little part right. grease and oil every little part mm-hmm. you know you really have to get into it and when you do that you really know your weapon a lot better of course right and I honestly like the SKS is one of my favorite guns um, I, I really do have a soft spot for it I, you know I, I, I'm singing its praises and I've been talking mostly in this episode but right. um, now if you're collecting the SKS the cool thing is like I said all those countries I mean there's there's plenty of variations out there i mean even alone in the chinese sks world i think there's like over 50 variations you can collect and then within those variations you could collect battlefield pickups vietnam bringbacks you mm-hmm. can if you want to get into guns that were used in in yugoslavian conflicts you know there's guns that you know if you're into trench art you know if you collect guns with trench art you, the sks is a great gun for that it's mm-hmm. not terribly expensive right and it, it represents you know trench art and history yeah. and being used cool now, the prices on them are going up because of all this pandemic crap. Right. I mean, I've seen... The one type of SKS that I really want that I don't have at the moment mm-hmm. is a Russian. Yeah. And they're going for crazy money right now. I like what? I mean, I see them on Gunbroker, $800,000 oh over that. Wow. I had a chance to buy one a few years ago for 600 bucks, yeah. and I thought, oh, that's a great price, but I just didn't do it. And you I'm should have like, done it. I ah, know. There's a lot of things that I should have done. <laughs> a lot of guns I should have bought. Those $99 yeah. Chinese Mosins. By the by the uh, fucking by the truckload, dude. I know. Spam cans of ammo for 90 bucks. I mean, yeah. you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. Yeah. But right. there's there's a lot of I mean, 
I, I could always say I want all the guns in the world, but right, right. when it comes to this, I mean, SKSs and Mosins were really like my collecting forte for a mm-hmm. good a good part of yeah. you know my 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 time collecting sure, guns. Sure. And um, like I said, I do I would like a Russian SKS because that's where it kind of all started, mm-hmm. and then to collect the progressions. I don't think I'm ever going to be able to own a North Korean or an East German or a North Vietnamese just because I don't have two or three grand laying around, unfortunately. Yeah. They would be nice. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day. <laughs> maybe one day if I if I sell a bunch of other shit. Yeah, but they, yeah. you know, they do pop up from time to time. I think, honestly, the most... It, like I said, in terms of rarity, the East German is probably the top, then followed by the North Korean, then followed by the North Vietnamese. And then after that is the Albanian. Now, the Albanian SKS is interesting because... It is similar to a. It's more similar to a Chinese, but they 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 change a lot of things. It has a spike mm-hmm. bayonet. It has a different charging handle. Right. The forend is longer, so the wooden forend is longer than a Chinese SKS, mm-hmm. and the stock design is slightly different. Other than that, it's very similar to just yeah. a regular Chinese SKS. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I I also like about this gun, you know, as a first time purchase, is it's it's not too heavy. No, you it's, know it's, it's pretty light. It's, for it's what handy. It, is. it looks right. it looks like it would be heavy as hell, but I feel like it's just the right amount of weight. Where it really doesn't it really doesn't matter what size you are, you could handle no. it. You know, no, it's very handy compared. Now remember, again, this was designed in the '40s, so a lot of things are very different compared to today's standards with modern polymers, plastics, right. different metals. But yeah, this is a very handy rifle. Yeah, I mean, it's got weight to it, but it's not. It's not overbearing. Right. And know? it's firing a thirty caliber cartridge, so you want a little bit of weight in order right. to buck some of that recoil. Right. Yeah. But I think for a first-time gun buyer, especially in the New York market, mm-hmm. this represents a great option for yeah, semi-automatic, for sure. intermediate caliber right. rifle with cheap ammunition. I yeah. mean, pandemic pricing aside, you used to yeah, be able well, to get... That, that will go back down. Yeah. You used to be able to get a... a you know, a thousand rounds of uh, seven six two by thirty nine for like two hundred bucks. That's not bad with at all. free shipping. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Right. So you know, buy a cheap stack of deep, man. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I I happen to think that with all the history I've learned right. and with everything that I've really gone through, this was this was the start of it. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know, I I I'm never really gonna get rid of this rifle. Mm-hmm. I think everyone should have an SKS. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I will buy one. <laughs> I mean, John. I mean, I'm holding it. I'm holding it, and it's, I don't know, it's kind of growing on me. It is. It is. It's one of those guns that's recognizable. You know, it's not as recognizable as an AK or, you know, an M1 or right. an M16, but you see, you still see it in conflicts all over the world, man. Yeah. I mean, they were used in Syria, Iraq. I mean, it, just right. from when they were from when they were made in the early 40s till now, they're still being used and right. picked up, and mm. it, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's definitely a, a very interesting weapon. So uh, on the uh, on the stock at at the end, right? Um, there's like a little compartment. Is there like cleaning kit in there? Yeah, there's. Do you have a provision like this one? I have has a cleaning kit, so right. it springs out. Yeah. Um, and they they have you know you put a cleaning kit in. You have to make sure you don't trap your finger in there. Yeah. But it's it's very similar to an AK in that sense where I mean it, it almost looks similar to an AK with the with the right. way the cleaning kit is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure the exact dimensions of the rear of the stock or the base of the stock plate here. Right. But it's similar to an AK, at least the Chinese, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. But yeah, it's it's definitely um, the more you kind of dive into it, the more you realize, oh, this is cool, and the sling swivels here, and yeah. for this reason, and it has a bayonet. I think the bayonet is cool as hell. The bayonet folds out, and uh, just locks out. Huh? <sighs> yeah, that's I mean, pretty cool. Bayonets are scary as hell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when all else fails, you got something to stab somebody with. Yeah, pretty and much. That is a very ominous thing. Yeah. This bayonet in particular, the, the Chinese spike bayonet, mm-hmm. it's triangular. 
Right. Because yeah. it's it, the wound is harder to close. So let apparently. me uh, let me ask you this: Have you gone to the range and fired it bayonet bayonet open? Hell yeah. <laughs> People must look at that and be like, I can't believe like how can they have that in New York? And if well, I mean if you look at it, it does look mean as hell. It looks like you just shouldn't be allowed to ever to ever have it. Some of the best things in life are the things that you can't have, John. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's just it's just funny, you know. Like right. going back to like all these silly laws, it's like people will say oh you can't have this you can't have that because it's you know it's really deadly and then but you can have this because right. you know simply because it has you know a fixed they magazine can, and yeah they, they could ban an ak-47 right. by name and by features but right. they can't ban this right and i mean they could try yeah but what what's so evil about it? it's it got a wood stock a fixed right. magazine it really doesn't fall into the categories of the narrative right you know? Right. It doesn't look scary yeah, in the eyes of the right. gun grabbers. Right, right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. honestly, how many drive-by bayonettings are there, John? I mean... Do you know of any? <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of stabbings, though, places. Yeah, I mean, can true. you imagine if someone got, just like, on the street got stabbed with a, with a, <laughs> with a, with a fucking with a, bayonet <laughs> on an SKS? I'd want mean, to know, I want to know the backstory on that. Yeah, I'd want to know, too. <laughs> but... I think, um, yeah, I think this was a good topic for today, man. Yeah, for I sure. really do. Um, I really hope people, when they have a firearm or when they really get into it, that they kind of learn a little bit of the back history about it. Yeah. It'll open their eyes to the world. One thing that this really did, and I'm kind of rehashing this a little bit, but one thing that this really did for me was make me look into the back, that the past, back in history, to better understand the present. A lot of things that were going on in these countries that this gun was used in are repeating themselves today. Yeah, which could be kind of scary. Right. I sent John an article. Well, maybe we'll put it in the show notes of um, the Chinese Red Guard and how mm-hmm. similar it is to all the chaos that's going right. on in, in the United States today. The, right. the, the, the person in the article says America's cultural revolution is similar to the Chinese cultural revolution. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing that you get a better understanding and appreciation of what's going on today because of what happened in the past. And you right. can kind of see the outcome of it. If things keep going the way they're going, right. what's going to happen? Right. And some people want it to go that way, man. They do. Which is, like, even more scary. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is, man. It could be terrifying. I you know. know. I, I don't want to be part of 53 million people dead by yeah. the hands of my own government God. or by I'm hoping communist that, insurrection. Yeah. I mean, we could sit here all day and be like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. But, I mean, it could. I mean, it's unlikely, but it could. Right. It could happen right. if the wrong people... You know, get into certain positions of power and pass certain laws and policies, and right. and this stuff. is why we have SKSs. Like you said <laughs> earlier, when people go upstate New York and the trees start singing, "Country Home, Country Roads, Take <laughs> when Me they Home." Go, yeah, when when they go up to riot in uh, upstate New York and the trees around you start singing, "Country Roads." <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was so fucking funny hilarious. Meme, yeah, funny meme like that. But yeah, fucking hilarious. So, I guess that's it for today, Taylor. Yeah. Thanks for bringing the, uh, the SKSs over. They're pretty cool. We're going to put pictures of the SKSs. We're going to put pictures of some of the stuff that Taylor talked about, you know, as far as far as far as his other artifacts. Right. <laughs> and, and, uh, you, and, you know, I think a future episode, we're going to be highlighting some other SKSs too. Um, one thing, one future episode that I'd like to do is, like I said, conflict use rifles. Mm-hmm. I have, I said in a previous episode, I have a rifle that's at the gunsmith still. And it was used in the, you know, the, the coast by the Kosovo Liberation Army. Mm. That, along with the Yugoslavian partisan rifle that I have, I feel like that would be a really good episode to show Yeah, for sure. Well, in the future. I don't know when I'm getting that to come back from the gunsmith. But, right. You know, at some point in the future. Cool. Sounds good. All right, John. All right, Taylor. Good talk, man. As always, thank you, everybody, for, uh, for tuning in. Thanks. Always quiet.
Hey everyone, thank you for listening to today's episode at the NY Gun Guys podcast. We do release a new episode every Monday. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at NY Gun Guys. Please give us a like, a follow, and a share. If you have any feedback or a suggestion for our future episode, definitely send us an email at info at nyguns.com. We'll see you next time. Be safe out there.